All right. All right. Let me. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. I've never seen that movie. Um, I haven't either. I just know that it's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> so, uh, hey, speaking of Matthew McConaughey, um, did you get the track worked on this week? No. So, I finally got my delay wrapped up. So that just, you know, I was just head first in a sea of bucket brigades and companders and surface mount resistors and caps. <sighs> so when you work on a circuit, time loses all meaning. So I started that on Monday. It's now Friday morning and um, here we are. Yeah. Well, be a lot cooler if you did, man. Uh, it could be, you know, uh, people are really getting at us in the comments, but listen, the e the emails we get are just so we uh, are busy hurtful. people. Okay, like I've got coffee that I have to make, and Zach has, um, I don't know, Christmas lights to put up and stuff like that. So you know, we've <laughs> we've I, yeah, don't do that anymore. <laughs> well. Do you ever really give it up? I mean, come on. Oh, so little history of me. If you didn't know what I did before Carter, which was before Mythos, I've only had like three jobs in my entire life. I worked with my dad and we sold Christmas lights. Now, when I say we sold Christmas lights, I don't mean we sold like 50 strands a month. I'm talking like enough to light entire cities and 100 foot tall Christmas trees and like Christmas lights. So that consumed my life. So when Christmas shows up right after Halloween, I just, I'm already sick of it. Uh, I love being around my family and the food and that sort of thing. But I just, Christmas lights could, could never exist and I'd be okay. <laughs> oh, well, there it is. Uh, so we don't have a track. So no, don't worry about it. But Dipped in Tone episode 15. Wow. I feel like that's uh, that's a milestone of some sort. <laughs> is it? I don't know. Uh, but what is a milestone? We have, for the first time ever, the largest number of people in the Discord chat live. We got a uh, good crew. We got Craig. The, the gifts are flowing. Like, man. Wait, I was trying to think of that Pocahontas song. Now I'm thinking of Mulan, That's, Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. <laughs> See your real reflection. <laughs> uh, anyways, so we've already gone off the rails, um, and we're back. If you want to join in the Discord server, you guys know how to do it. Check out the Patreon link down below. You can join for just $2 a month. Um, and eventually, we will have merch coming at some point. Right? Waiting on your guy now. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, we were waiting on Zach, but then, I, yeah, you're right. We're waiting on our merch guy. So <laughs> never mind. I emailed the files there. <laughs> Out of my hand. <laughs> okay, so merch will be coming soon. Uh, Zach, what's up with you this week? What's new? Man, really, the delay, that, that's, that's, that's big. That's a big thing because uh, we started the design process in January. Mm-hmm. And um, took a while to to really manifest itself, and and you know, things this year just was a weird year. But uh, I finally dialed in the circuit because you got to play it. Yep. Uh, and um, the mix control was a little 
off center. I really like for a delay pedal, the mix when it's at noon to be pretty much 50, 50. And it was, it was not there. So I kind of recentered that I reshaped the voicing. So it's, it's not, uh, super dark, Mm -hmm. but it still has, um, a little bit of character to it. And man, I'm stoked on it. And John, uh, John Snyder, the designer, he's a experimental audio, incredible designer, genius, uh, level stuff has wrapped the circuit board. So uh, this weekend I'm going to order them and, uh, Hopefully by the end of the year, I'll be sending out uh, things to people to check out in the magazines and stores, and then we'll drop it all at once. That's awesome. What about you? What did you, what did you get into? Uh, I have been working on my new video course. Um, Mm. So it's a, it's a complete comprehensive course on the Nashville number system. So um, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time and I figured I would knock it out before Christmas and it'll probably be the last course that I do in this space. So I wanted to knock that out before we start, you know, going through the whole process of moving and all that kind of stuff. But essentially the number system is like probably the most important and useful piece of musical knowledge that I have. And it's one of the, <laughs> the things, Gesundheit. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the things that I use every single time I play with another human being or work with people. So basically, I decided to put a course together because the way I learned the number system was years of like little bits of information here and then little bits from here and like kind of uh, compiling this sort of concept together. And so I decided to make a video course that is just from top to bottom. It starts at square one, literally like the major scale, and it goes all the way through Um the the you know voice leading and natural number system and chord scales and all that kind of stuff harmonizing major and minor scales all that kind of stuff um it's not gonna be crazy yeah. long maybe about an hour and a half two hours worth of instruction but the idea is you take it take the course and by the end you are fluent in the nashville number system and that's that's it it's it's one of those things that once you understand the mechanics of it you're like oh that makes total sense right yeah it's you know, and it's so you, useful it is so useful. Yeah. So. But it does help to know like your circle of fifths and like, you know, really basic theory stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So basically I shot everything. Oh, I bought a new mic this week for the, for the, the, uh, production, bought a, a shotgun mic, which I will tell you about a little bit later. Um, and yeah, I knocked all the recording out in like two days. Tilly is editing all of it. There's 12 parts. And uh, my friend Kevin Nolan, guitar player extraordinaire, got, uh, the guitar player I tour with in Jesse's band, he is transcribing everything for me. So he's going to be doing all like the transcriptions and the charting and everything. So hopefully it will be available in the next two weeks or so. We're trying to get it out in time for Christmas. So you can buy the guitar player or musician in your life, the gift of musical knowledge. That's the gift that keeps on giving. It sure does. So anyway, there we go. Yeah. So, do you just want to kind of get into it? Yeah, let's just get into it. All right. We always so, have people complaining about like our topics not getting to the title topic till later in the episode. So, listen, this episode we're getting straight into it, okay? You guys can stop complaining. Yeah. <laughs> what are we talking just about? Back away from the keyboard. So, this week, based off the uh, the end of based off our Discord hang after the episode, after we wrap our episodes, we usually hang with the people on Discord and we talked about this. Uh 
we are going to talk about our guitarist slash musician pet peeves because we all have them. And to be fair, anything we say, if you do this, we're not attacking you. It's just something that irks us. And that's okay. Everybody gets irked by something. Yep. And these just happen to be the things that irk Rhett and I. Yeah. These are strictly our opinions. Um, and, you know, just know that um, these are not uh, huge grievances. These are just little things that, like you said, irk us. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> with that said, let's let's wander into the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you want to go first? <clears throat> Yeah, I think this one just runs all over me. And I don't know why I hate it. I I get visibly shaken when I see someone who doesn't clip the strings Ugh. off of the tuners. They just yep. wrap the string and then just put a big loop. Now, let me preface this by saying, if you're in the middle of a set sure. and you break a string and you just have to wind one on, fine, cool. But if you're one of the people that pulls the guitar out of its case, or heaven forbid, a gig bag, with the strings all spun around the tuners, I just want to take the guitar from you and clip them off and give it back to you because it makes me so crazy. Right. I'll, I'll go one further with that. I feel like there's an appropriate length to clip your strings, okay? So I've I've seen to me what's even worse it, than the coiled ends cuz the coiled ends are at least show that like okay, maybe you were in a situation where like you didn't have a a set of clippers or something like that and you just coiled them up, right? I I could sort of grant um a grant forgiveness on on that. What I've seen though is where people will clip the ends, but they'll clip the ends with like 4 inches of extra string on the end. And that is psychotic. I think that mm. is like what, what is happening? I think there's an appropriate length of string clippage. There's like a, there's a window, right? So personally, I like a flush clip. I like a nice, um, see if I can show it here. It's gonna be kind of hard sitting far away from the camera, but like you see the headstock right here. It'll focus. There we go. So a nice flush clip right on the end of the tuning peg right nice and clean it also can help prevent like uh poking your finger with the end of the string which is the worst thing ever right but well, i understand some people those... don't what's that well, oh wait you're right hold on tuners... yeah wait wait you're right you're right you're right Let's... here we go let's All go right. down the hole yeah there's a vintage style i'm sorry this though so mm. these are the original strings on this wide sky. So th this is like the appropriate length. There's about maybe a quarter of an inch on the end. I'm about to restring this. And when I restring it, I'm going to flush clip them. Um, but I would say, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe flush up to maybe three quarters of an inch, I think is acceptable. Anything beyond right. that. And we're getting. Yeah, it's usually, see, I, like from working in the pedal world, uh, I've, I've, I've just adopted millimeters because it makes more sense. Uh, so yeah, a couple mil is enough, but do you, do you lock your strings when you wind them? No, no. Okay. Cause here's now, the thing. I, I think here's, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think you need a little bit. I would never clip 
a string right up to the post. Uh, unless it, after it was wound, you could. Um, yeah. You know, well, I guess you always clip it after it's wound. But I usually leave a little bit just because, I don't know, just because. Look at the look at the gif <laughs> that just got posted in chat. That's great. So, all right. Um, the way I always restring my guitars is, and I actually learned this from a Taylor Guitars video like 15 years ago. This was like one of the first videos they ever put out on their website or whatever. But it's what I learned and I still do it today. I will draw the, the full string out through the bridge. And before I wrap it around the post, I pull it through the nut. And then I will, I will judge. So like on a vintage tuner like this. See if I can get in position here. So let's say I'm trying to put the, the E string on, right? I will pull the mm -hmm. E string through and then I will go down two tuning pegs and I will clip the string there at two tuning pegs. I like three wraps with wound strings. I like three wraps per post. And with the non-wound strings, wound strings, I go for four to six wraps on the post. And so doing that measurement using the tuning pegs as a measuring device is great. And that ends up giving me yeah. a nice clean wrap. Yeah, that that is something that uh, one of my, my friends at Carter, Adam, he showed me, he pulls to the next tuner, uh, two tuners, and then pulls it down and then kinks it. And then what he does, and this is what I do now, is I actually give the first wrap with my, like with my hand. I wrap the first wrap mm -hmm. over the top of the string and then start to wind and it stays taut and gives you an even uh, dispersion of, of string on the, the tuning post. But, but yeah, I don't know why that drives me crazy. There's even photos of like Dwayne Allman with, and like he's Dwayne Allman. He could do whatever he wants, but I see that and I'm like, what are you, a psychotic? I don't know. <laughs> psychotic? I don't know if that's Are you the a right psychotic? Term. <laughs> I have a college degree. I spent fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. That's just clip your strings, y'all. And and the the string lock thing. I'm gonna go against something that's in one of my videos. Okay, if you watch the ten guitar hacks video, which is like the second biggest video on my channel with with Dave Honorado, uh -oh. Dave does the the string lock thing, and we I had never done it before, and Dave swears by it. But that was the first time he'd ever done it. And I was cool with it until I had to restring that guitar. <laughs> and never again, never, yeah. never, never will I do the string lock thing. The thing about I, that I personally believe is locking your strings on the tuning peg and using locking tuners don't help tuning stability. That, no. that doesn't help. It makes locking tuners make restringing faster, but that's not going to help your guitar stay in tune better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah strings stretch. <laughs> And that's right. why, you know, um, so this is not necessarily another topic, but, and this is something that kind of annoys me. I wouldn't say it's a huge pet peeve, but I, I always get disappointed when I talk to people and they're like, man, I never change my strings. Mm. And I'm like, what, why? And they're like, well, because they don't get gross. I'm like, do you feel the bottom of them and how they're divots above the frets? Have you ever done yeah. that? They're like, oh no, so like, yeah, that's that's not good for your frets and like your strings will crap out. They don't need to be flat on the bottom. So, I <laughs> yeah, I, I, I yeah, I can I can totally see that with guitar strings. Bass strings, though, I think there is something to never changing your bass strings. Right. Uh, yeah. My P bass is a 2014. I've had it since 2015, and I've never put new strings on it. Never. Right. 
because I like I like that thick, like greasy sort of tone you get, especially on a P bass of having the, you know, if and in fact if I do change, I'm probably going to switch to flats because flats on a P bass, uh, if it was good enough for James Jamerson, it's certainly good enough for me. Hey, so. So nice. what would be one of your pet peeves? Always on compressors. Ah. Now, this is something that I used to do. Um, I used to be one of these players that had a compressor on their board and always left it on um, because I thought it helped my tone. I thought it made me sound better, and I would always compare. I'd, like, play something with the compressor on, and I'd turn it off, and I'd play something. and be like, well, it just sounds better with the compressor. What I didn't realize was the compressor was boosting a little bit and louder always sounds better. That's why when you're comparing stuff, if like if you're mixing, for example, and you're trying to, to compare like what an EQ is doing or what a compressor is doing, you always match your gain because your ear is going to hear something as louder is always better. Okay. Right. The reason this irks me is because I, for a long time, was using it as a crutch. I was using it to cover up the fact that I didn't have good dynamic control of my guitar tone. I didn't have good control in my right hand of even, you know, playing evenly across notes or digging in and backing off. I did not have good control over the dynamic response of what I was playing. And the compressor always being on just masked that because it was doing yeah. its job. It was compressing. It was evening everything out. But when I figured out that you have more control over your tone without the compressor on, it completely changed my world. Now, I'm not anti-compressor. In fact, I'm doing a new pedal board build um, with Mason right now. I just shipped off a whole bunch of pedals and a board to him. And mm -hmm. on the board uh, is going to be the Compadre from Strymon because I really like that compressor. They're great tools, and it's a great thing to use when you want that effect, when you want that sort of thing, um, but not always on it doesn't yeah. need to be always on i feel like if you are if you are relying on your compressor you're using it as a crutch oftentimes uh, to cover up the fact that you might not have good dynamic control it's something to work on 100 percent. i uh i feel the same way about compressors i like in a studio sense or if you're using it like like in on the hx stomp or the Helix, for example. I like to put a compressor after everything. Yeah. And it kind of like, it kind of evens everything out, but you still have all the dynamic control and the range and, and the ability con to control the gain from not only your guitar volume, but your finger. But I came into compressors a lot later because my guitar journey, and I think everyone kind of goes through this, where you have that aha moment where you realize, oh, this is what it's going to take for me to go to the next level as a guitar player. And for me, that moment happened when I bought a Dr. Z Maz 18, two by 12, no reverb. It yep. was so dry, so immediate. And it showed every flaw in my playing to me. Yeah. And after I got that amp, I was like, wow, I really need to practice. And so I really... And this was a number of years ago. I just dove in and like every day, every night I was practicing for at least an hour. And I went to compressors kind of after that. And 
I experienced that thing. I lost all the dynamic control. I lost all that effort I've been putting into my playing to be able to pick uh, notes evenly and make everything as, as clear in the same level as I wanted to and contr- like add dynamics to my playing in a way that I hadn't done before because everything had been through a, a not great amp with tons right. of reverb. But for me, a compressor is for, for, for a guitar pedal that you put early in your chain, it's an effect. Yeah. You can use it for country playing. I think that makes sense because it's a sound. It's like if you're doing chicken picking, if you're doing that sort of thing, the, the sound of that style of music, I don't think it requires a compressor, but I think that gives you that immediately puts you in that ballpark and the same with some really um like the Corey wong style funk playing i was literally about to say i need to go back and clarify because Corey wong is a person that i i believe runs a compressor always on yeah but does not fall under that category of using it as a crutch because for someone like Corey wong or any of those wolfpeck guys like so much of the wolfpeck sound like the drum sound and everything that sound is accomplished by them playing like if you're watching those wolfpeck videos of like jack stratton or or any of those guys playing drums they're like barely touching the kit but the drums sound massive right because of the way they're recording it and using compression as an effect as a way to augment and help create the sound i think cory wong is a great example of that right you wouldn't have cory wong's sound without a compressor mm-hmm. right he's definitely not using that as a crutch what I'm talking about is what I used to do, and I see a lot of players still do, which is like, oh, I, I, I leave it on all the time because it just, I, I like the way it, it evens everything out. It makes it makes everything smoother and sound better. It's yeah. Like, yeah, or you could do the same thing with a little practice and tightening up your playing. And what that does for you then, without the compressor on, especially if you're running an amp that's on the edge of breakup or you're using a pedal to boost the front end of the amp, you now have more control, you have more expressive control over your tone based on your, your how hard you're playing, your dynamics, which is huge. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from people not playing really loud. You know, I think if you're playing loud, um, putting a compressor on, it, it takes a lot away. Now, granted, there's a lot of people that do that, and that's a huge part of their sound. David Gilmore was pretty heavily compressed and stuff, but you know, it's like Corey Wong going back to him. Have you ever watched him play acoustic guitar? No. Oh dude. He has like a whole, some, some acoustic, like an, an acoustic EP. Didn't he just put out an acoustic record actually? Yeah. 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 But okay. like, that's just how he plays guitar. Like I've watched him on, on Instagram, just playing an acoustic guitar. And even though like he's super compressed when he's playing, you know, his, his electrics, like that level of, uh, note separation and and um, and matching that dynamic range that's inherent to his right hand. Um, so he's definitely using it yeah. as an effect. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Corey Wong, one of the best guitar players I think alive today. Yeah, he, um, he's so nice too. I've talked to him a little bit, and he was just super sweet. So I've not talked to him yet, but I will. <laughs> All right, what's next for you? What's your next pet peeve? Let's see. Let me go back to my list. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to save one of these for you, but kind of building off the first one, not cleaning your guitar. Now, I don't mean... Mm. I, I have a rule about my guitar stuff. 
clean the fingerboard. I clean the back of the neck, clean the frets. Um, I don't, I try not to let anything tarnish for the most part, but the body, I just kind of let it do its thing. Uh, sure. because I, I don't sweat a lot. And even when I was in a touring band, like my sweat is not like gross. It's, you know, some people have very, their body chemistry is odd. I'm talking about people who never clean their guitar and their guitar is a level of filth that just looks like it was abandoned. Example. (laughs) I was in a band, uh, an Americana, like Southern rock sort of band. And our bass player had this Squire bass that was like, had the wide range pickup in the telly headstock. It was one of those like vintage modified, like telly, you know, sure. Maple fingerboard. It looked like it was rosewood because it had so much dirt on it and he never cleaned it. And it made me sick. This is horrible for your frets. It's horrible for your instrument. And I've seen other people that do that. And that to me just boggles my mind. Like why you wouldn't take care of something, you know? Mm. I Yeah. Uh, so I have a slight rebuttal to this. I am one of those people with, crazy bad skin chemistry mm. i destroy guitar strings um all of the hardware on a guitar i've owned longer than five years if it was chrome it's tarnished uh it's just inevitable right but to me i actually like i don't like chrome shiny anything i don't like it on a car i don't like it on a guitar i don't like it on anything so for me like uh if it's chrome i've done this with with my gibson uh, with my 335, like it, it was a just standard Memphis 335. So it had all the Chrome hardware on it. And I just let the bridge and the tailpiece completely tarnish because I wanted to to get rid of that. Um, but I do completely agree about the playing surface, about your like neck and your fingerboard. Yeah, especially on like a rosewood board, keep it oiled, keep it clean. On a maple fretboard, keep it wiped off i mean dude it's just, it's so easy when you're restringing your guitar just like wipe off the fretboard right. well granted you know you know he was a bass player so he didn't change his string as much but it, it was just like it's so bad for your frets to let dirt and sweat get in there and and it, it can it can you know damage your instrument so i mm-hmm. i just i don't know like i i We'll usually wipe down a guitar with just like a, a microfiber cloth on the body without any sort of um, polish uh, for the yeah. most part. I do clean the back of the neck on everything and I'll use some sort of cleaner. But one thing, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this, for rosewood and, and ebony, any dark wood, any open, uh, not sealed wood, because maple is usually sealed, um, right. but rosewood and ebony in particular... I use this stuff and we'll have to link it called fret doctor. And it's made by this dude who makes fifes for civil war reenactors. Okay. I, I don't know, but people figured out that this, this oil that he makes can coat a fingerboard and lemon oil and a lot of stuff will clean and it'll darken until it dries, and then it goes right back to how yeah. it was. This stuff treats right. your rosewood and actually darkens it. I had a John Mayer Strat in like 2007 or something, really not soon after they came out, and it, the fingerboard on it was so pale, 
Yeah. I bought some of this fret doctor stuff. I started using it and not only did it darken it, it made it smoother and it, it's not oily or greasy. You just put it on. I put it on with a Q-tip and then wipe it with a, a paper towel and it, it changes like the entire appearance of a guitar and it, it keeps it clean, you know, which is important. Right. So. Yeah. I've always just used lemon oil. Uh, and for those who may not know, lemon oil is not actually lemon right. oil. Um, it's not like they're squeezing, you know, lemon zest or whatever to get, it's like mineral oil with essentially lemon scent. Right. It's like yeah, pretty standard, just whatever. Um, but yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yo, man. Dan just posted it in the chat here. Um, fret doctor, the one and only, uh, endorsed by Shoyle's guitar. This is not, well, <laughs> this looks way fancier. My bottle Ooh. is in, looks like he went to Rite Aid or Walgreens and bought just like a travel <laughs> shampoo container <laughs> and printed with a, an inkjet printer, a label and stuck it on it. Uh, I've always bought it. it, it, it his, um, uh, his website is B A Pfeiffer. So, like with like P H. No, no, like F I F E R B A Pfeiffer, and I don't know if it's .dot net okay. or .dot whatever, but um, it is. It's it looks like a GeoCity site, and it looks super hinky. But I've bought stuff Dude. from him for years, and he's great. <laughs> so. That's what you want, though. You know, with a product like this, I don't want some super polished website. Like, I want it to feel like I'm going to a guy, like I know a guy who knows a guy, and it's like just him in his basement, like with a cauldron and uh, like a hot plate and one of those beakers <laughs> with the thing spinning in the bottom, and he's like mixing stuff up per order. That's what you, I want. You want a, you know, you want a Jesse Pinkman type of uh, guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, I want that special oh, sauce. Man. You know what I mean? BF Pfeiffer, uh, dot com. Yes, I'm going to have, we'll have to screen grab this because it is. It's fantastic. It looks older than Analog Man's website, which looks like it was built at the dawn of the internet. <laughs> I love that. Um, nice. All right, I'm going to buy some. Yeah. I'll check it out. So what's your next uh, peeve? So we talked about this a little bit last week. We kind of came up with this. Honey <laughs> Boo in the chat says this looks like a website for a JFK conspiracy. It's legit. It totally does, but that is... Oh, my God. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> trust me. Trust this is me. Golden. This is golden. All right. Uh, well, my next pet peeve is um, wireless guitar systems. Um, the the vast majority. Okay, I'm not going to say that because I I don't know that. But in my experience, most of the players that I've personally seen who buy and set up and deal with wireless guitar rigs have no business using a wireless guitar rig. Right. A wireless guitar rig, and for those of you maybe who don't know, it's essentially um, you have a transmitter pack that is mounted on your strap that your guitar plugs into, and then you have a receiver pack that is either you know back in a rack system attached to your rig off stage, or now they have pedal board units that go on your pedal board and everything. So essentially, it eliminates the cable between your guitar and your pedal board. Now, here's the thing. Uh, unless you are playing on a big stage night after night where your gig requires you to be running around stage and maybe there's a big 300 foot ego ramp that you need to run out and, and hit your mark for like a big solo every night. Like unless you're one of those guys, um, Rod Castro, for example, 
Um, Kenny Greenberg, for example, you don't need a wireless rig and you should avoid a wireless rig for a few reasons. One, nine times out of 10, unless you are spending big money on the best wireless systems out there, which are thousands and thousands of dollars, a cable sounds better, Right. right? You can't beat a cable. A $25 guitar cable is the the benchmark. It is the level. And to get a wireless system that sounds as good as the cable that you're using, it costs hundreds or thousands of dollars just to get to that same level. Okay. Second, you're adding another layer of complexity and another failure point, possible failure point to your rig that again, most cases is unnecessary. If you are on a church gig and you are going to the same stage every week, once, twice, three times a week, your pedal board lives in the same spot that it always does every week, and you walk out, you play your four songs, your three songs, your six songs, whatever, you stand in front of your pedal board the whole time, and then you walk off stage, you don't need a wireless rig. If you're playing in a club, a small club, where the stage is so small that you physically can't move around, you don't need a wireless rig. So I, I just, this came up for me after it, it was from me seeing like playing in mega church gigs that I used to do years and years ago and seeing guys like get all caught up in like what wireless system they were going to use for their board. And it was like, why? And then I've gotten questions on Instagram or whatever about, Hey man, you know, I'm looking to, to get a wireless rig set up. What do you recommend? And my answer is always the same. None. Right. Unless you are, unless you have a gig where part of the show is like moving and running around and hitting marks and doing all this kind of stuff. Avoid it. Yeah. You don't need it. Because isn't there like to be effective, you have to be further away from it. And like, is it like you need to be at least 15 feet away or so? Or that's what I used to hear. I don't know if that's true now. Well, there, there's, there's ones from like, okay, so I love line six. They're great, but they make this like G10 wireless system that is, it's like a prosumer kind of wireless mm-hmm. thing. And, and to me, it's just like, it's completely unnecessary again, because for the people that need wireless rigs, they're going to go buy like the, the big bad stuff from sure or Sennheiser or whatever. Like, cause the other thing is it's not just, it, there's a lot more complications than just like connecting your wireless system. You're dealing with RF and you're dealing with RF interference, you're dealing with all kinds of different things that are adding just, in most cases, needless complexity to your system. Now, things like if you're on in-ears, having a wireless in-ear pack, totally understand right. that, right? I, but but to me, that's a little bit different than, you know, having a 25-foot cable or 12-foot cable in front of your pedal board that you're connected yeah. to. I just, yeah, it Yeah, it there's, there's this mentality that I've I've come to accept with, with everything guitar related is, is the more you add, the more you take away. And I think that's true with amps. Mm -hmm. I think it's true with pedals and it's definitely true with your setup. Anytime you add something to your guitar rig, you can potentially take something away. And I think a wireless system can do that um, unless you're spending a large amount of money. But ultimately you're right. If there's no reason to not be connected to your pedal board, then be connected to your pedal board. You know, if you're that close, yep. cables are cheap and yep. man, they, they, they're reliable, reliable they don't, most like, times. I've, in my lifetime, now I've been playing guitar 21 years. 
I think I have broken the cables I've bought that I have broken two or three cables that just maybe four mm-hmm. that just crapped out from use. I mean, out of who knows how many cables I've bought, you know, like that's not that many to just up and die. You don't have to worry about batteries. Yeah. You don't have to worry about charging anything. Nope. I don't know. Nope. You don't have to worry about interference. The thing is, bring two or three cables to a gig. Always have an extra. When one goes down, because they do, cables fail. I've had dozens of cables go down on on gigs and stuff before. You just grab another one, plug in, and keep going. It's a 30-second fix. Right. Your wireless rig goes down, the battery dies, uh, it loses connectivity, there's RF interference, there's all different types of things that can start to go wrong that are just, again, in most cases, it's not needed. Save your money. Go spend that money on something else. Go buy another pedal. Go buy another guitar. Whatever. Absolutely. That takes me to my next (sighs) topic, building off what you just said. Yep. Not being prepared for your gig or whatever. Uh, either not knowing what you have to play, which is paramount, but not having the proper equipment to do a job. Whenever I used to gig, yeah, I would take double the cables I needed, backup power supplies, extra strings, extra picks, all my tools, and this could just be for like a, a you know a long weekend gig, um, you know, going just to a couple states or something, but have an extra IEC cord, have everything because inevitably even if your stuff doesn't fail the other idiots in your band are going to forget or break something and and you're going to have to Mm -hmm. be the the guy that that saves the day and that has always driven me crazy (laughs) the same bass player who didn't clean his bass one time we were going to either huntsville or atlanta or somewhere to play like a weekend of gigs we were on the road for multiple hours and he was like oh I forgot my base. <laughs> I wanted to leave him on the side of the road. And, okay. and, and the crazy part is he didn't even have to bring a base because, or a base amp because every place we were playing had a house like base amp. So dude just like showed up with <laughs> yeah, his clothes. Yeah, he had his like backpack basically. with his clothes and he probably didn't even have a toothbrush because he was one of those kind of people. And, oh, and no base. Yeah. And he was the bass player. <laughs> oh, boy. That's astonishing. I love that. I love that. Yeah, Milton in the chat. Dudes who show up unprepared. Bane of an MD's right. existence. Yeah. I, th- I'm going to follow up on that pet peeve a little bit later because I have one similar to that. Um, there was also a bass player, <laughs> actually. Um, well, I don't... So my... Go ne- ahead, go ahead. Uh, uh, what? I was going to say... Um, my next one, not to continue to harp on the, the cable thing here, but solderless patch Ooh. cables. Hot topic. I hate them. I, I hate them not because of them uh, themselves. It's the, the sort of just blind rage and support that people give for solderless patch cables. I've been on the receiving end of so many just shitty comments from people when I've said this stuff in the past. I'm sure there's going to be people here that say the same thing. Like, well, it's, you know, solderless, dude, solderless cables have gotten so good. And, oh, with evidence cable. Yeah, I know about evidence. Well, these cables, they lock in. I know about the locking cables. Soldered cables, soldered patch cables are always better. 
100% of the time. They are always better for a few reasons. One, oftentimes they're more economical. They're cheaper than the solderless equivalent. If you had to build 12 patch cables, you could go on Amazon and buy a pack of right angle plugs for quarter inch plugs. They're super easy to solder, relatively low profile for, I don't know, 15 I'm gonna, bucks, I'm gonna look right now. something like that. And you can get Mogami 2319 cable in bulk by the foot. You could build your own patch kit. If you know basic soldering technique, you could build your own patch cable kit for, I'm going to guess, 20 to $25, mm-hmm. maybe $30. To get an equivalent patch cable kit from something like Evidence Audio, which, again, I'm not, I don't mean to, to bash Evidence. I know their cables are really nice. I know that they are the most reliable solderless cables in the game. Totally understand. Um you're not going to have, it's going to be way more expensive, first of all. Second of all, a mechanical soldered connection, if you've soldered it properly, and especially if you've like heat shrink, heat, heat shrinked, shrunk. heat shrunk the connection, heat, shrunk. heat shrunk the connection, you've done all the things, that is going to be a reliable connection, especially if you get a plug in, a cable in that has mechanical strain relief with the soldering, you've, you've, used good solder you've done good soldering technique which is not hard to learn you're going to have a much more reliable cable than any solderless cable out there again i know there are people dan from that pedal show uses solderless cables Mm -hmm. on all of his rig builds that's great and i know that it works well for for people like joey landreth and josh smith right for me always soldered cables always soldered patch cables and that comes again from years of experience i've had plenty of different solderless cable kits. I've had the D'Addario ones. I've had the the George L ones. I've had the, there was another company I had years ago that- um, Lava, yeah. Oh, the Lava Cable. I've had like three of the different Lava Cable ones. They're, at least those Lava Cable ones were a pain in the ass to put together. Your fingers are just completely raw and torn up by the time those were done. Um, I understand the evidence ones are like way easier to put together and stuff. Um, but, Every single solderless patch cable kit I ever had, no matter the brand, no matter its construction, no matter how well I put it together following the directions to a T, they always failed. I always had patch cables fail on gigs, on stage, in the middle of a set, having to find like where the bad patch cable was and all that kind of stuff. That problem stopped when I went right. to soldered patch cables. I, I will it say, though, <clears throat> that a soldered connection is, a soldered cable is only good as you can make it. Um, so like getting, making your own is, is absolutely what everyone should, should learn to do. You should learn to make a, a cable, you know, each, not hard to each end has two connections, you know, but yep. if you are really bad at soldering, <laughs> you can very quickly, despite your best efforts, ruin, uh, many feet of, of guitar cable, uh, by not soldering it properly mason from vertex has a lot of great videos on how to solder stuff it doesn't take a lot of tools it just takes a lot of practice and it's definitely a measure twice cut once sort of situation that you really Mm -hmm. just need to plan out how you're going to do something before you attack it because there's nothing worse in the world than trying to make a guitar cable and realize you left the sleeve off of the cable and you have to desolder the end to yep. put the sleeve back on it. <laughs> yeah. But 
I agree. I've used soldered or solderless cables in the past um, because mainly because that's what was trendy. That's what everyone said. You know, like you should get George L's. Every George L mm-hmm. cable, cable I've ever used that uh, I made myself broke. Um, I've used some of the evidence ones. Yep. They broke. Um, it's different yep. when you're making a pedal board. You make every cable. You test every cable. You put it in and then nothing moves. Even then, things can fail. They definitely can, but the yeah. vast majority of us who experiment at all just get, you know, comfortable soldering cables. And it's a skill set you should you should just yeah, know and how you to can, do. Yeah, and if if and again too, like I understand the appeal of solderless cables for someone who's like primarily a home player. Their board never leaves the room or whatever, or their basement or wherever they're playing. Totally fine. Um, if you have the coin and, and like want to drop it on that stuff, by all means. Again, this is just my opinion here, okay? But if you're gigging, if you're traveling, if you need your rig to be reliable, if you need your pedal board to perform and not leave you high and dry, my opinion, you need yeah. to be using soldered cables. That's just what I think. Um, I would love to have this conversation with Dan from that pedal show and, and you know, hear his perspective on it. Because again, I, I think what he does is great. I think he's very knowledgeable. I think he knows what he's talking about. And so I'm interested to hear his perspective on it. Um, but yeah, just in, even if he was building me a rig, I would humbly request that he build it with soldering right. cable or soldered well, cables. Um, and soldering is one of those skills that I think you should, as a guitar player, you should know because it, okay, like going back to the big cable thing, if, a, if you have a normal quarter inch instrument cable and it goes down, you can repair it. You can repair XLR cables. You can make MIDI cables. You can make patch cables. You can do all kinds of stuff if you just have some right. basic soldering skills. Um, also, don't any of the UK audience don't tell us that we say solder wrong. Solder. Okay, you guys drive on the wrong side of the road. So don't. It's funny. Yeah, I have adopted comments, not well, not all the time, but sometimes I'll say solder, uh, just solder because that's, solder. You know, I I watch a lot of UK YouTube. Um, in Dan's defense <laughs> of solderless cables, he's a professional making them. And most of us who make our right. own cables, I would even argue that I am not a professional at making cables. Uh, I'd say I'm a prof- professional at soldering, but when it comes to making cables, trust me, I've tried to make it where two right angles were like perfectly parallel with each other. And they're like this. <laughs> and you're like, why? Yeah. I I know I made this right. Why are they <laughs> like that? You know? <clears throat> Yeah. Well, that's why the, the 2319 cable, the, the Megami 2319, I, I picked this up from Mason when he built my board a couple years ago. It's all wired with 2319. And that, that cable is really cheap. It sounds good. And it's super flexible. Like it's real easy to get. So if you do end up making it so it's a little wonky with the two right angle plugs, you can just kind of, it'll twist right into position. Not all uh, patch cable material is like that. The cable that I got from the lava cable kits a couple years ago was right. like super stiff and it was you know, um, it was reliable, but cause I ended up using that cable for, cause I bought one of their soldered patch cable kits yeah. and that was great. Um, but the cable itself was like real stiff. So you had to make sure that the, yeah, the yeah, plugs were I, lined uh, up properly. I, I still have many lava soldered kits or cables that I made from kits and, and, and stuff. And I think <clears throat> the last thing that we could touch on about the solderless cable argument the reason it was so appealing, I think, a number of years ago is because it was the only way to get a really small cable. 
And now you're right. There's a multitude of options when it comes to having a very small uh, plug for your your pedal board. Um, square plugs are great, and there's there's all sorts I, of stuff think, that's even um, smaller. I think uh, BTPA is the company now. I think that has the best square, like low profile plugs. That's what we're going to be using for my new board. Um, I'm going to buy them all from from BTP. I think I'm going to get the buy the cable from BTPA as well. Um, yeah, SP 400s. Yeah. yeah, those yeah. are those are great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It does. The stuff matters, it y'all. Does. Square it really, plug really are matters. Probably the the easiest to solder pancake plugs I've ever made. Um, yeah, yeah. I've had the Switchcraft. Um, I have a lot of the Switchcraft uh, 226s, I think they're called. And those were relatively easy, but they're actually right. not that low profile. There's there's better options out there now. Um, well, so yeah. Uh, <sighs> I could spend an entire <laughs> hour talking about cables. And again, this is just our opinion. So um, yeah. I think the one last thing that, that is, is a real pet peeve of mine uh, and and I'm sure it is of yours is not knowing your gig when you show up and there's another guitarist or you know drummer bassist doesn't matter and they have the wrong equipment the wrong vibe the wrong volume those things are so paramount not only for you as a musician to have a good time but for everyone that's listening to you to enjoy themselves because ultimately if you're getting paid to play the audience needs to, to to have fun and if you can't provide that because somebody brought a hundred watt amp to a bar gig or whatever you need to reassess what you're doing yeah what have you ever had a, a situation yeah. where someone well that so my that kind of lines up with my last pet peeve as well it's it's a little bit different though in that like being prepared for the situation um part of that to what you're speaking about is understanding the gig so as guitar player because obviously most of our audience are guitar players or bass players too understanding the tone and the sound that you're going for if you're being hired for a gig let's say you're being hired for a wedding gig and you you learn let's say 40 songs you need to have a rig and you need to have a setup that's going to let you cover everything from Alan Jackson to Daft Punk, right. Nile Rogers stuff all in a night, right? You need to be able to pull off all those tones and know how to pull off all those tones well enough to, to play the gig. It's part of being a musician. Um, the other side of it that I've seen, luckily, very rarely, I have to say, in my 10 years of, of playing, um, the overwhelming majority of people that I've worked with and played with have been just total professionals, even at at a level where you're barely making money and like kind of grinding it out. Most people that I've been able to work with take their gig really seriously. They come prepared, they learn the stuff. But there's one example of a guy that I played with probably four years ago um, in Nashville. We, uh, this band I was touring with at the time, we had gotten hired to go play a gig. I'm not going to give too many details, but uh, it was kind of a last minute gig. And our normal bass player, who was incredible, one of my favorite bass players ever, wasn't available. So they found a fill-in. The guy had two weeks to learn a 
a 45 minute set, which is not that hard. The music was not super difficult. It had a lot of details and stuff, but it wasn't hard. As soon as he accepted the gig, they had passed along the recordings. I recorded every rehearsal that we did. I tended to record most shows to keep up with our um, arrangements and stuff. I sent him all the recording material, show up to Nashville. I drove up to Nashville early for rehearsal, get there. We're loading in. Dude shows up 20 minutes late. The <laughs> bass player shows up 20 minutes late, um, takes his time setting up his rig. And then we finally get ready for downbeat 30 minutes after we were supposed to, to hit downbeat for rehearsal. We sit down on the first song. We're like, all right, man, you ready to go? Here we go. We're going to click it off. He's like, oh, wait, what song is this? I'm like, oh, it's it's this song. Cool. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get this one. I didn't, uh, could you, could you just like show me the chords real quick? Like, what do you mean you didn't, did you not get the files or whatever? It's like, no, I did. I just, I just didn't have, uh, I didn't get it. So what are we playing? For every song in the set, he had not looked at the stuff. He had not listened to the tracks. He had not looked at the charts and we had to spend the entire rehearsal walking him through stuff. And the worst part about it was like, he was totally just, laissez-faire kind of shameless about the whole thing like yeah man it's it's cool it's yeah it's be fun we're gonna have a, t- a great time we get to the gig the right. gig was terrible it was awful one of the worst <clears throat> gigs i played with that band because he didn't know what he was right. doing and he was all over the place and the whole time was he was just oblivious to the fact that he was like blowing this gig and we finished up and you know, get back to Nashville. And he's like, yeah, man, that was awesome. Can't wait to play with you guys again. It's like, nah. bro, <laughs> that ain't happening again. Like, oh, man, no, yeah, my, my so, childhood best yeah. friend, he plays bass and he, like when he was like woodshedding, you know, when we were teenagers, he just learned like chord progressions and like how to listen. And every gig I've ever had with him, his name's Ben. If he ever just had to fill in for whatever reason, for like wedding gigs I'd played uh, and we're like, Hey, we need a bass player. He would just show up and he'd be like, okay, what key is it? And I'd be like, Oh, it's in B flat or whatever. And he'd be like, all right. He's <laughs> like, I'll listen. And he'd just right. make it work, you know, like, yeah. but, but dude, that's, yeah. that is one of the worst feelings when people aren't prepared. The, the not like, like, like what, what, what was the, what was my thought? Um, not knowing your gig. Um, one of my, it wasn't the worst gig I've ever played, but I played a, a, a barn wedding gig and the other guitar player, I, I took my Maz 18 or I might've taken a Carmen Ghia, like a one by 12. Mm-hmm. Like fine. We're playing right. in a barn, like, you know, a nice barn, but a barn. Right. Yeah. And right. the other guitarist brought a, a hundred watt, two rock, classic reverb with a two by 12 cap <laughs> yeah that, that was his cool. amp like that was the only amp he had it's like he spent all his money on that one amp like cool you know i get it okay but ben again he was at this gig with me it was you know me drums other guitar player ben and ben and his bass rig was like on the other side of this two rock and when we started playing we were all of us were like holy shit <laughs> like this guy is so loud and mm-hmm. Ben had to walk. Yeah. He had a really long cable and he walked over to me and he's like, he was playing. He was like, I can't hear you at all. <laughs> he's like, I can't hear 
I can barely hear the drums. And he was just like in the middle of a set, like talking in my ear. And so he had to stand by me just so he could hear the guitar to be able to get through this gig, which was like a wedding gig. It was hours, you know, that we were going to play. Oh, right. I look, I will, I will claim I have been, you know, I've been the guy on more than one occasion that has been playing too loud for the room. And I, I've been the guy that gets asked multiple times in a night to turn down. Um, you know, I, so I, I understand it. It's, uh, it's never fun being asked to turn down by your bandmates. Um, although I will say, you know, to, to my, my, some of my closest and dearest friends, good trouble. Um, that's probably the band that I, that asked me to, Noah always asked me to turn down. It's like a thing. Um, and, Right. It's gotten better since we switched to in years, which is which has been great. Um, but in years in, in recent years, I have been asked to turn down, and Ian, who I love, is one of the most heavy-handed drummers ever. Especially his rim shots—they're like shotgun blasts. I mean, they're, they're we've had times in soundcheck where Ian hits a rim shot un- unexpectedly, and it makes you jump right. out of your skin because it's so loud, freaks you out, and so it's kind of. It's like, well, wait, why am I being asked to turn down when like now I have to turn my amp back up just to get over the snare and, and cymbals? So, um, again, I love those guys, but it is like that is a, another kind of pet peeve for me is like being asked to turn down right. when you're not the loudest instrument yeah. on stage, like not even close. Um, and we've all know that feeling as guitar players where you've, you've turned your amp literally all the way down. To where it's on the edge where if you crank that volume knob down at right. all it's just you're gonna it's gonna cut off essentially and then being asked yeah it's still a little loud man can you turn that down it's like man i'm playing a 15 watt tweed deluxe and it's basically uh, off it I, can't get any quieter okay. than this so my move is i just walk over to the amp and touch the knob and be like oh there you go is that better and like, yeah yeah it's that's great like, thanks man it's just great unscrew the set screw so the knob just spins freely <laughs> Yeah, um, it's like there you at, go. At this last NAM, <laughs> Joey Landreth and and I were at the Nova booth, and he was I think he was like playing a solist, or he might have been playing the the Revolta uh, baritone. And the NAM police came by, and he had his little decibel meter. Now, the ambient volume in NAM has got to be at least hundred decibels. Oh God! But we were playing through the little Josh Smith yeah. Morgan amp that they had lent uh, the Novo guys, and the NAM police guy was like pointing at the amp, and he was like. Turn it down. I was like, okay. So I turned it down and he's kept doing that. And I literally, I turned it off. I was like, it's like, it's off. And he was like, off. he did that and walked away. I was like, you kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> Man, the NAM police. That's a. Yeah. What a job. Oof. I don't envy what them. What a gig. I don't, I, I've never did, had any bad interactions. No, I don't, with I don't them. either. That was annoying, but he wasn't mean. He wasn't like, we're going to shut you down. He was just like, and yeah. usually if you're just cool with them and courteous and talk to them like people and don't be an asshole it's fine yeah it's like yeah just this yeah. quick like oh you know give them one of those like oh okay got it man thanks yeah. and as soon as they walk uh, away well you right back up that's that's some of our peeves that well there you go episode one topic yep in a whole episode <laughs> wow look at us yeah uh so shill of the week what are we uh, what are we shilling this week there, Zachary? All right. So my shill this week is uh is one I'm actually really excited about. 
it's been a while since I bought a new microphone. I love microphones. Um, I, they're like, I don't know what it is about them, but I just, I really love mics. They're really cool. Um, so as I was saying for this new project I was working on for the, uh, the video course and for future video production, I needed a shotgun microphone. Now, if you're not familiar, um, a shotgun microphone is a style of microphone that is designed to be hyper focused in its response. Um, they're very, very popular with, um, film and TV. You know, you see the guys, the boom ops that are holding the, you know, the mic, the big long stick the microphone on the end of it. Um, so one of my best friends, Philip Conrad, bass player extraordinaire from the backstage live band, uh-huh. almost dropped the band's name on accident just there, but not yet. Um, that's what he does now for his day gig. Phil is a boom op on a lot of like big film and TV productions here in Atlanta. So I talked to him and he recommended this mic for me. It's the Sennheiser MKH416. I can't show it because it's in position right now and I'm not going to move it, but I have a picture which we can see here. So this is the Sennheiser MKH416. I bought it this week. So this is in like the shotgun and film and TV world. It's kind of like the 58 or the 57, right? It's like one of the industry standard mics. This is the mic they boomed Empire Strikes Back with. Been in production for like, I don't know, 40 something years or something like that. But um, when I got it and set it up, I, I had Phil kind of walk me through. There's a whole technique, dude, to boom opping and like getting shotgun mics placed. It's fascinating. I think it's fascinating. Um, but I got it placed and I was talking and I listened back. And right now the microphone, it's out of frame here, but it's, you know, it's probably about 17, 18 inches away from my face. And when I'm speaking, it sounds like this, like I am right on axis, close mic'd with a mic like the SM7. It is so crispy, it's so clear. Um, it does a really good job of rejecting sound from the sides. The best way you can think about a, a shotgun mic is, remember the old mag lights from the day? <laughs> yeah. Like you'd put 12 D-cell batteries in them, you could like beat the shit out of somebody with it if you need to. And you remember how on the, you could twist the front and make that beam of light like go real tight like that. That's essentially what the pickup pattern, the polar pattern of a shotgun mic does. It's like you can just hone that beam in real tight. So, right. yeah, that's my uh, <laughs> Brett Schill pre- presents Dipped in Boom. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's my Schill of the Week, my new shotgun mic that I'm real excited about. Nice. That's exciting. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love new technology. Uh, speaking of old technology, which is not what we were speaking of. <laughs> well, shotgun mics are old tech. They're not yeah, new. Yeah. One of my favorite Star Wars quotes from behind the scenes is it's from A New Hope. And uh, Mark Hamill, they like do a take and he hears someone off, you know, some, some person working on the set say the mic was in picture and he turns to Carrie and Harrison, they're like, the mic was in picture. The mic was in picture. And they had to like reset and they were like walking back to their mark going, the mic was in picture. The mic was in picture. I don't know. It's one of my favorite Dude, behind the scenes. Talking to Phil about that job now, like I never really had a full respect for boom ops, but they have one of the most difficult jobs on set because yeah. they have to single-handedly get the mic as close to the source, as close to the actor as possible on axis in a scene where you might be moving around, doing all kinds of stuff while keeping the mic 
completely out of frame. So they have to know exactly what camera op is doing and they have to know what the actors are doing to try and capture this performance. It's like, it's crazy, man. It is crazy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Physically demanding too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, my, my gear shill of the week is Lux Bumblebee capacitors. Ooh. So if you've never seen these, these are the most boutique tone caps you can get for your guitar. They make, um, not just bumblebees, they make gray tigers, they make a replica of old fender caps. But what they do, Gibson, back in the day when they were doing their bumblebee caps, were just a little ceramic cap in a plastic case with paint striped on the outside, was not a, a real true bumblebee. But Lux actually has a Sprague capacitor winding machine, which capacitors, a paper and oil capacitor, if you don't know, is foil and paper that's rolled around and it's injected with a an oil uh, and then encased in a you know thing right and either dipped in wax, wax or plastic and you know you you have a cap um, but they're packaging so it has this band on the outside every package for the caps comes in a, a case that would be close to what the guitar that would have these caps would have. So this would be in a burst. So it has a burst colored cardboard case in the bag. They come in is pink, like the lining of (laughs) a Gibson case from the fifties. It has all sorts of postcards and even fake hang. Well, not fake, but a hang tag like you would have found on a vintage um, guitar. But these caps are just the most uh wow the most fantastic paper and oil capacitors that you can buy they're not cheap but tone caps do matter they don't matter when your tone knob is on 10 but the moment you start to use your tone knob they totally matter and just for another level of nerd here is another one that i'm going to put in my um might put it in my prs let's see if i can this is called a gray tiger and this is what would been would have been in a Les Paul from like 52 to about 57 or so. Damn. Um, but th- these paper and oil caps just have the that woolly sound that you totally expect. That th- these bumblebees are actually the woman set, which what that means is the neck. You can see that these are different um we have different color bands the bottom one's a little different right that's the neck cap which actually has less capacitance so you don't roll off as much bass so it you kind of balance out the amount of reduction you can get on your your bridge and your neck pickup well we all know how much you love a uh, a good unboxing experience and that is possibly one of the best unboxing experiences i've seen (laughs) thus far dude it's pretty cool it's pretty cool and um yeah I don't know what I'm going to do with those. I bought these uh, for something else that's not going to happen, um, but I'm just going to keep them because inevitably I'll get another two humbucker guitar. Right. And I'll, I'll put them in that. What? Uh, how much were they? Uh, I think <laughs> I th- let me just double check real quick. Okay. Yeah, uh, because I, I, I might want to throw them in my Les Paul. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought about that. 
Uh, oh, Uh-oh. but uh, I mean, I'll sell them to you. I'm not just going to give them. <laughs> I'm not going to give them to you. Yeah, you think this is some kind of <laughs> oh, charity? Okay. So, Tone charity. With the box and the diagrams and all the hang tags, there are seventy dollars. <laughs> <laughs> just the oh caps just the caps is 61 though there's 69 dollars for the box and diagrams and caps and just the nice. caps is 61 dollars so they nice. they ain't cheap no they're but, not cheap you know if you're going that extra mile and that's what comes in all the new um custom shops now that's what they're using oh they are uh, using the the um using, using lux caps which is lux caps quite the upgrade uh, so you're saying that like the USA stuff they're doing now, because they they say they've got the the bumblebee caps, but that's not like a real bumblebee. Uh, the USA doesn't have bumblebee caps. I think it does. The new the new ones don't no. they, do don't they? I know the custom shop. They went to like the 50s caps. wiring. I don't know. They're, they're using. using fi- I don't think. Yeah, they're using 50s wiring. Um, let me just look here. Uh, but I feel like. Uh, da, da, da. I feel like I'm right about this. They're using orange drop caps. Oh, God damn it. Never mind. I wasn't right. <laughs> I feel like you're right, but guess what? <laughs> guess what? I was wrong. So the orange drop is a total different thing. I'm not a huge fan of those as a tone cap. Um, they're not bad, but I just prefer <laughs> paper and oil. So <laughs> Anyway. that This is the most bougie, like, just hipster uh conversation that, ever i'm not a what? huge fan of the orange drops <laughs> well i mean like i, I agree get, they get on their soapbox about pickups and stuff why can't caps be part of the conversation it's they part should of be part of this conversation sound. no you're right you're hey don't get defensive you're right i'm not, just saying not bougie bougie i'm just saying <laughs> i'm just saying I, look i spent 20 minutes talking about soldered cables okay it's not like i'm <laughs> you know in any position to to judge on this i'm just saying you know I like that. I'm just saying is a way to just kind of cover up something like stupid or bad. Oh, hey man, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just, just saying. saying. Hey man, just I'm just saying. You know, <laughs> snakes are you better can't be than mad. lizards, I'm just, man. I'm just saying. I'm just, just saying, man. Hey, just saying. You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. All right. Well, yeah, I posted a picture of my uh, my new microphone in the, the chat here for all to see. Um, I'm excited to. Apparently, makes a great voiceover mic too. It's like what a lot of people use for voiceovers and. Foley nice. sound. Yeah. I was going back to last week, how we were talking about our game show. Before we do anything, you've got to get one of those Bob Barker mics with the, the long. Dude, my friend Michael uh, Westbrook has has the, so apparently they made different versions of that mic, and he bought one as like a guitar. Apparently they're cool on guitar caps. His is short. His is like this long, but it's, it is the Bob Barker mic just in a short version. Uh-huh. And I really, really want one. I think it would be hysterical to like mic a cab with the Bob Barker. Yeah. <laughs> Price is right, Mike. Uh, um, I forget yeah. what they're called, but yeah, they, they were like a really popular mic for a long time. Um. <laughs> that's, that's funny. The, yeah, the chat so, is getting unruly. So yeah, thanks for we're listening. We're going to have to shut this down. Well, yeah, like I said, uh, you can. What do we have to plug? I, I never remember what to plug here at the end of the episodes. Be sure to like and subscribe and share this video or, or the audio podcast with your friends. There it is. Visit us there on is. Patreon and check out our $2 tier of support to help pay for our brand new editor. Yeah. Oh, we should we should plug um, our editor. Yeah. Milton, Milton Taurus. Um, 
his uh he, he runs a studio service now so if you are um looking for editing or mixing of your own you can get in touch with milton he's great um mm -hmm. i think it's blue feather recording right milton yeah in the chat yeah blue feather recording got a website we'll, we'll post it in the um the description and the doobly-doo down below he's great he's a good friend of mine i've known him for years um he used to md gigs that i played on he's a hell of a musician and uh, now a hell of a mix engineer so if you've noticed starting last week and this week a step up in our audio quality <laughs> that's because of the one and only milton from blue feather recording so yeah, zach, zach's not doing it anymore hey listen zach did a stellar job for working as hard as he as as you did i don't know why i'm talking about you in the third person <laughs> um you did a stellar job for having limited experience of mixing and editing and, and everything and for doing it with as busy as you are. So congratulations. A round of applause is deserved for Zachary. All right. But now well, we're paying somebody else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see you all next week.